Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal Land. And this is a special episode of Full Story on the results of the New South Wales election. It's Sunday, the 26th of March. Friends, after 12 years in opposition, the people of New South Wales have voted for a fresh start. New South Wales state correspondent Michael McGowan has been at Labor leader Chris Minns' election party. He'll be joining us soon to tell us what the future looks like under a Minns government in New South Wales. But first, here's what you need to know about the results. Swing to Labor started early. Everything is going towards Labor now that the count's more progressed. It was not long after 8pm when the ABC's Anthony Green declared... The Labor Party will form government. We do not know at this stage whether it will be majority or minority, but the swings are now consistent. Key coalition seats, including South Coast, Parramatta... Spirits are very high. Uh, ..and Monaro across the electorate now. had all fallen to Labor early as it became clear the swing was on. Every time Anthony Green speaks, we start hearing these sort of cheers. And these cheers. It was a good night for independence. Michael Regan gained the outgoing Brad Hazard seat of Wakehurst. And a teal independent looked set to gain Wallandilly on the southwestern edge of Sydney. Larissa Penn in Gladys Berejiklian's old seat of Willoughby and Jackie Scrooby and Pittwater were neck and neck with Liberal candidates late on Saturday evening. Incumbent independents in Wagga Wagga, Sydney, Orange and Murray all retained their seats. In his concession speech, an emotional Dominic Perrottet took to the stage while supporters chanted his name. Uh, friends, uh, thank you so much for being here. He said... This election was a battle of ideas, a race to the top. And in many ways, uh, that is due uh, to Chris Minns and the way that he's carried himself uh, throughout this campaign. Uh, and that's why, and that's why I truly believe and have no doubt that he will make a fine 47th Premier of New South Wales. He went on to announce that he'll be standing down as the leader of the Liberal Party. I want to thank every person across New South Wales uh, for the great opportunity uh, that you have given me. Uh, it has been an absolute honour. Thank you and good night. At Labor headquarters, Friends. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese took the microphone to talk up Minza's leadership. Tonight, the people of New South Wales have come together to choose a better future. Yeah. 
Then the new Premier took the stage to declare victory. Friends, the people of New South Wales voted to put in a government that would put people, people at the heart of all decision making. And we will not let them down. Like Perrottet, he pointed to the respectful campaign run from both sides of politics. This election campaign perhaps uniquely was a model of respect and civility. To cheers from the crowd, he declared this result a vote for lifting the wages of frontline workers. Friends, they voted for our nurses, our teachers. And against privatisation. It's undeniably the case that today's election was also a decisive vote against privatisation. There are many challenges facing the state of New South Wales over the next four years, but the team that I lead is ready for the challenges and opportunities of government and we will not let the people of this state down. Today, how will Chris Minns deliver the fresh start he has promised? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Hi, Mick. Hi, Gab. Leading up to this election, we kept hearing that it might be really close. We thought it was going to be a very late night by the time you and I sat down here. But that's not what happened, is it? No. And I think the size of the swing surprised a few people. Although in the final week of the campaign, you did sense this shift, both from polling that came through in the final week of the campaign, but also just the vibe on the ground that this seemed like a possibility. And you saw on the final day of the campaign, Dominic Perrottet go on this you know, massive blitz running through a bunch of seats in Sydney, just trying to you know, soak up as many votes as possible. In the final week of the campaign, he was only in coalition-held seats besides a shortstop off in, in Cogra. But there was a, a sense that, that maybe this was on. Mm. And I think that you know, there are a lot of reasons for that which we can get into, but certainly it went from being an election that seemed very close to in the last few days uh, something shifted and, and this seemed like a possibility. What time were you ready to call it? I think I called it at like seven seven thirty or something, 7 o'clock. I can't remember. <laughs> Only moments later Anthony Green said the same thing. Oh, look, I actually said a Labor majority before he said... Oh, uh, we've got our new Anthony yeah, Green. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Mick. So you just said we'll get to the reasons why. Let's let's go there. Why do you think this was such a resounding victory? I mean, there are obviously a few reasons, right? The most obvious is that this is a coalition government that's been in power for 12 years mm. and remove any kind of context, 12 years is a long time for a government to be in power and it's hard to win a fourth term, obviously. Mm. But there are 
There are other reasons. One is the specific circumstances that Dominic Perrottet was campaigning in where you've got a government that since he's come to power has been repeatedly beset by scandals, right? So last year there was the John Barillaro trade saga, you know, just repeated sort of integrity issues that had kind of plagued the government. And something that I think Matt Keane said on the ABC broadcast tonight was like every time the coalition started to get some clear air and started to feel like they were getting some traction, something else happened. Mm. Then there's also issues with the Liberal Party itself. Last year, the federal election, you know, so many issues that plagued the Liberal Party and plagued the coalition around, like women voters, for, for, for example, right, and, and, and those issues. And the party just couldn't get itself together on this stuff. Like even in situations where you had Perite, Keane, pushing hard for women candidates in seats on the, the state's northern beaches, which is like that area where the Teals did really well in the federal election, the party just wouldn't come to the party, mm. right? Like they just, they couldn't get get over this this hump. And I think you've seen that play out a little bit in some of those eastern suburb seats tonight, although not to the same extent as it did in the federal election, but certainly a little bit. Then on the other side, you look at Labor. And Labor have been criticised a lot, including by me, for running a pretty narrow, small target campaign, right? They picked their issues, which were abolishing a public sector wages cap, health and education infrastructure, and promising to ban privatisations. And they just, that was all they wanted to talk about for, it feels like to me like the last thousand years, but, you know, <laughs> a few months. <laughs> and they stuck to that. And I think what they saw is that cost of living and sort of mortgage belt issues were what was on the, the, the electorate's mind. Mm. And they were right, right? Yeah. They, they just guessed right. I remember when when Min's first announced his tolls policy and there was quite a lot of uh, criticism about what a kind of small idea it was, but have they turned out to be right? Well, that's exactly right. Like, I mean, that was, so when when Min's became, first became leader, the first thing that he sort of hung his hat on was the issue with tolling. And you're right. Like, I think as a someone who's, you know, really engaged with politics and the media cycle, you sort of think like, really? Like, is that, is that the thing that's going to define you. But the reality is tolling, if I live in the Western suburbs, when cost of living is going up and everything's getting more expensive, the fact that I'm getting hit with like, you know, $50, $100 of tolls a week, mm. that, that really hurts. Yeah, and a lot more in some cases, right? Absolutely. And and what I think w- what the tolling also did was opened up a different discussion, which is the the, the, the sort of crux of their campaign, which is around privatisation. Mm. Because it's the sale of those big motorways that has led to this tolling regime that we have that allowed Labor to, you know, run this campaign against privatisation. And it also meant that the coalition was less able to sort of prosecute the campaign it wanted to, which was like, we've been in power for 12 years, we've transformed the state with all these big infrastructure projects because it's harder to talk about these great motorways when everyone else is thinking about how much they're paying to drive on them every day, right? Yeah. So that sort of small target campaign is, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's a good thing or not, has won Labor this election. Mm. And they also took what some people thought was a risk on pokies, and Perite looked very good taking a kind of moral stand against this scourge on our state, I think he called it at one stage. And Labor 
just refused to go there. It's fascinating because throughout this process, right, Labor was saying behind the scenes, we don't think this will move votes. You know, it's not coming up in any of our like focus groups, all that sort of thing. And they just really did refuse to get sort of knocked off the issues that they wanted to talk about. And I think it goes a little bit to the kind of people, like Dominic Perrottet is a prime minister in a premier's body, right? Mm. He likes vision. He likes big ideas. He likes public debates, you know. Is that like, why he's friends with Paul Keating? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, th- I mean, I think so. Yeah. There's a sort of like mm. oratory kind of thrust that he enjoys. Yeah. And I think w- when Perrottet is carrying the baggage of, of 12 years of government and mm. everything... Many scandals. Many scandals. And just also like, you know, it gets to a point in an election cycle where it's like, I was thinking this during one of the debates, which was like a a forum where, you know, like members of the public ask questions, right? Yeah. And so many of the questions, and I don't mean this in like an unkind way, but sort of had the vibe of like, here are several things that I'm unhappy about in my life. And you seem vaguely to blame for those, <laughs> which that kind of happens. Isn't that politics? Exactly, right? <laughs> but like when when a government's been there in power for that long, everything yeah. that's wrong is their fault. And some of, them, some of the things are their fault. Like, you know, they don't have a great record on a lot of things. But, um, you know, he, so he's carrying this, this kind of baggage while at the same time trying to reinvent himself or the government as, you know, this sort of change-making um, vehicle. And, and I just don't think... Well, obviously, as we've seen tonight, that didn't work. So Perrottet has resigned as leader. They've lost a number of MPs who are retiring. They have only Tasmania is the only government they hold in Australia. What does the future of the New South Wales Liberal Party look like? Yeah, it's interesting because what happened tonight is sort of a lighter version of what happened to the Liberal Party in the federal election, right? It's not quite the same. It's not quite as bad, but it's it's pretty bad. And you saw some of the same issues in terms of like the eastern suburbs of Sydney, you know, losing seats there to independence. The interesting thing now for the New South Wales coalition is, so before Perrottet, who's sort of from the right side of, of the coalition, they were a completely moderate-driven coalition government. And even Perrottet in government was kind of moderate as a premier. That was a really successful playbook for them because they didn't they didn't suffer the same issues that like the Victorian Liberal Party did, but they're always involved in these you know horrible, awful culture war things. Yeah. They kind of stayed out of that. You know, they're pretty pragmatic. Now they they have this sort of really diametrically opposite choices between Matt Keane, who is the sort of flag bearer for the moderate Liberal Party, who would be the presumptive leader after Perrottet's gone, or the exact opposite of Matt Keane, right? Like, do, do we throw throw out this moderate playbook, and do we have to become more conservative? So they have a difficult sort of few months to wrestle with what they look like. I think the thing in their favour is that this defeat hasn't been as bad as as the federal election. What I found really striking about both their speeches tonight, Mick, was how they talked about the way the campaign was run. You know, there were these differences on, like, you know, quite big issues like pokies and stamp duty. Mins called the way the debate was run a good thing for democracy. Perrottet called it a race to the top. What do you kind of make of this kind of, you know, respectful campaigning? You know, we thought it was boring, but was it just the way elections should be run? I mean, it's, yeah, that's interesting. I was, I thought exactly the same thing when, when I was listening to that. And they, throughout the campaign, they've both been so nice about each other whenever they're given the opportunity. Mm. I think Perrottet joked at one point, like, you know, we could be friends, except we're trying to like end each other's careers. <laughs> uh, 
I think part of that is the fact that you're dealing with two men who are pretty, in personality, quite sort of moderate people. Chris Means is like weirdly relaxed for a politician. I've never met a politician who who at all times seems so like unfazed by everything. When, when we, we did a profile on, on Min's at the end of January and we were meeting at a cafe in his seat and he showed up wearing a T-shirt and he's, I, I might get in trouble for saying this, but his minder, his, you know, his staffer was, saw him walking up and was like, oh my God, like he, does he not have a button-up shirt? Like, why does you know? Why is he wearing a t-shirt? And he was like, "Oh, I don't know. It's just seemed fine. Like, I don't know. He's just he's a very nice guy." And Perite as well, although he sort of when he came to power was seen as this you know arch conservative right wing whatever. He's a personable person. But to sort of flip that on, on, on its head a little bit, th- this thing of like you know this is how campaigns can work. It was a kind of uninspiring election campaign, right? Like you know this is kind of them guiding the narrative on how this went, right? The f- Big policy that the coalition announced to start the final week of the campaign was uh, that they were going to investigate a 10-kilometre speed limit raise on a highway in Sydney. <laughs> and I don't think Labor had a policy in the last week of the campaign. I think they, they'd done it all, like they, they, besides some small announcements. There was no sort of, you know, you're sort of waiting throughout the campaign mm. for Labor to sort of, here's the big thing you've been waiting for, and it didn't it didn't happen. They're making it sound better than it was. Maybe a little bit, yeah. Now, Labor has a pretty inexperienced team. I think Michael Daly is the only front bencher with any kind of governing experience. And they've also got some really tough challenges going into government. What are some of those challenges, Mick? And what will they prioritise, do you think? The easy answer is their priority, the first bill that they will pass through Parliament is a bill that will change the state's constitution so that Sydney water can't ever be privatised, which is the sale of that asset, which the coalition has ruled out a million times, was a big part of Labor's campaign, right? I've never heard so many people talk about Sydney water (laughs) in the past few weeks. Absolutely. (laughs) That will be the the sort of immediate thing. But the platform is a big focus on increasing staffing around, you know, teachers, nurses, paramedics. That's going to be a big challenge because every state in Australia is struggling to find teachers, nurses, paramedics, right? We have a labour shortage. How they do that will be interesting to see. I mean, because other, all the other states are also competing for these same workers that we don't have enough of. So that's the first challenge. The other big plank of their election campaign was around uh, scrapping the public sector wages cap. Obviously, the point of scrapping the wages cap is that you increase wages, right? But you also, the way they're doing it gives independence back to the industrial umpire, which means that they no longer have total power over how those wages are set, which could have some pretty big budget implications for the state, which the coalition will hammer them on if they get the chance. That's another sort of immediate challenge. But there's a sort of narrative thing, right, which is the only sort of touch point for New South Wales Labor is that they're New South Wales Labor, right? Which is that they're like the worst, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's a byword. You know, we, you remember 2011, you remember the wipeout, you remember all the, the corruption scandals. They have to prove that they're up to the job. Yeah. And the challenge for them is to project competence basically and to demonstrate that they can, you know, they were good in opposition, but now they have to actually govern and all the stuff that they've been campaigning on, against the government on, they now have to fix those problems, mm. right? Like the the city's train system is a, is a thing that 
Labor has been hammering the government on over and over and over again about delays and cancellations and, and all these issues. Mm. It even stopped today on election on day. On election day. Now they have to fix that, mm. which is much harder than complaining about. You've mentioned, you know, Labor byword for corruption and the Liberal Party and coalition over the past 12 years has had its fair share of scandals. Can this be a new age of New South Wales politics? I don't know whether it's it's a, the you know dawn of a new age of politics in New South Wales. I'm possibly too too sort of cynical to think that. I do believe that this sort of Labor shadow cabinet, soon to be cabinet, generally want to do well, right? Like they you know they're going into government wanting to make the state a better place. Whether that's sort of a new dawn of politics in New South Wales is. It's definitely too soon to tell, I would say. That was New South Wales State Correspondent Michael McGowan. We'll be back with you on Monday with an episode about vaping. So 10 years ago, when I first started writing about vaping, back then the public health experts were warning that we are going to see these products infiltrate public spaces. And this is largely because of the way they're marketed towards kids. They're very attractive. They smell good. They taste good. And... Lo and behold, one decade on, we are now considering major sweeping vaping reforms to get vapes out of these spaces and, most importantly, out of the hands of kids. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.